church a part of your evening, and I know you'll be blessed by the service tonight. You know, what, what I feel on my heart tonight, I, I just think it would be good tonight uh, if we could just do what the Bible says and enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Can we do that tonight? I just think, I just think that's a great way to usher in the presence of God. And I know it's kind of cold turkey in the sense that there's, we don't have music and singing and the things that we're accustomed to. And we're just kind of starting the service off right here at the beginning. But, but I just wonder if we could all stand. And I just wonder if we would just take a moment and let's just praise God for everything he's done. Thank him for keeping us. Thank him for blessing us. And let's truly enter in with a heart of praise and thanksgiving. Can we do that tonight, Jesus? We give you the praise. We give you the thanksgiving. There is no God like our God. And Lord, we're, we're privileged to stand here tonight and celebrate you. Celebrate your presence. Celebrate the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the power of the name of Jesus, and the blood that cleanses us from sin. Hallelujah. That's it, Grace Church. Let's just clap our hands with, with, a, with a shout of praise and with just a joyous heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we know you're in control. We know that you are God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I believe God heard that, and I believe he accepted it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Uh, I do want to remind you just a couple of things. Our 21 days of sacrifice continues, and I appreciate so much your faithfulness to that. That 21 days of sacrifice will go all the way through Jan uh, January 24th. And then also, very important announcement, if your address has changed recently and you have not let the church office know, this would be a good time to update that information with the church office. The reason is, is we're getting ready to send out the contribution statement for 2020, and we want to get that in your hands. You need that. That's an important document, and we want to make sure we mail it to the right place. So if you need to make any changes to your address, please contact the church office and do that very, very quickly so that this can be done in a timely fashion. And then finally, if you didn't notice already, there are Bible reading plans available at Grand Central on your way out tonight, and I encourage you to take advantage of that and pick one up and, uh, and spend some time in the Word. Also, thank you so much for your giving, your faithfulness for giving online and also giving in Grand Central. Thank you for being a uh, productive, productive giving to the kingdom of God. We appreciate that very, very much. Before pastor comes to teach the word of God, we're just going to pray one more time over the service. Pray that God would bless every class that's going on across the campus and that we would leave changed by the word of God and in the presence of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we stand here again in your presence, Lord, knowing that you have our lives in your hands. You have our church in your hands. I pray you would anoint everything that's done all across the campus, every student group, every teacher, every student of the word. Lord, let your word go forth with power. We know it won't return void. Let it bring fruit in our lives. Everybody say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. One more time, clap your hands to the Lord as pastor comes to the pulpit. Thank you, Brother Dave. Good to see everybody. Hope everybody's doing well tonight. And uh, great to see you Wednesday evening for Bible study. And uh, looking forward to the word of the Lord tonight. And uh, I'm real happy to say that we had a marvelous time here this past Sunday. The spirit of the Lord was here in such a, a special way, such an amazing way. And I'm very thankful for what the Lord accomplished here Sunday. 
thank the Lord and I think we're off to a great start for the new year and uh, feeling a lot of excitement a lot of buzz in the air and uh, very thankful for that thank the Lord uh, one quick announcement that I would like to make is we've had several people respond uh, to our appeal for nursery help and uh, we need to pray for one or two more and then we can launch so uh, if you would talk to Sister Landry or myself about that, we'd appreciate it so very much. When we can get a group together enough to begin to, to kick that off, um, then we'll sit down with everybody and work out a schedule and uh, tell you how it'll work and all that kind of thing. So I know some folks had some questions about it. And then after we tell you about it and how it's going to work and all that, we still want you to say, yes, I'm on board and we'll do it. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. Uh, I want to jump right into our Bible study tonight. And again, it's great to be on campus. Uh, great to see all of you. And uh, real excited uh, that all of you in, are in service with us tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about shaped for serving God. Shaped for serving God. We'll read a scripture text in just a moment. But I want us to take a look again at the principle of ministry in our study tonight. And I want us all to be very clear at the outset of this that you and I are very absolutely privileged to be called by God and to serve in his kingdom. We're all privileged to be, to be able to be a part of the church, to be able to be a part of what God is doing on this planet, when you think about the multiplied millions of people around the world that have not even heard of him, we're really privileged to be where we are tonight and to hear what we hear, to feel what we feel, to see what we see. Uh, several years ago, uh, I thought Casey had a wonderful idea. Um, she had a sign made and she put it in the back hallway where uh, we meet every Sunday morning with the praise team before we come in at 11. And there's also one in the production booth. But we'll show you a picture of that on the screen. Um, this is what they see every Sunday before they come out onto the platform to sing. And then when there's one similar in the production booth. But it's a privilege to be on this platform. Thank God for calling me. And I believe that should be our attitude across the board tonight. And I believe we are thankful. I believe we are thankful for the blessing of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord that's in our lives tonight. But truly we can say that we are a part of his inner circle, if you will. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And I want us to consider what there is to learn about the joys of service of serving the Lord. I want to tell you about a young lady tonight. And for the sake of the Bible study, we'll just call her Susie. When there's a wedding here at the church, Susie is someone you hardly see. As a matter of fact, if you choose to get married here on the Grace Church campus, we ask you, uh, when you receive our documentation for that, uh, we ask you to have a Susie to be a part of your wedding. The central figure, of course, of any wedding is the bride. The maid of honor is present in a beautiful dress. 
The mother of the bride is elegantly dressed and is treated with honor. The grandmothers walk in, escorted by a tuxedoed gentleman, and are differentially exalted. There are accolades for the groom and his entourage of friends, the minister and the flower girl and the Bible boy are all noticed and photographed. But who in the world is Susie? Well, this very talented but behind-the-scenes woman is the wedding coordinator. She makes the entire day happen. She makes one of the most special, glorious, proud days of a new couple's life have the touch of elegance. Most of us who attend such gala events probably never even see her. Even if you do, you probably don't learn her name unless you scour the printed program. But behind the curtain of anonymity, where there are no headlines, no fanfare, no glory, and very little financial reward, is a dedicated Christian woman who says to the bride and groom, I will help here. I will plan weddings. I will serve you by making sure everything is ready and well rehearsed. Being at a Christian wedding reminds all of us of a powerful truth in God's family for every bride who looks so breathtakingly beautiful in her wedding dress Usually there's a real good friend or family member who rents a room at a cheap hotel somewhere the night before so she can come in that day and work all day long to make the bride's hair as beautiful as she can. For every musician who stands up front and sings the Lord's Prayer or whatever wedding song selection is made and receives accolades from the congregation, there's a production crew in the back who sits in the production booth and runs those soundtracks. For every minister who gets a lot of handshakes and compliments for the wedding sermon, there are quiet, unseen people in his life whose gentle influence and wise thoughts fed his soul and gave him something spiritual to say. And as pastor, with the weddings we've done in the years past, I could even share things I know. I know where the bride had a close friend who was her ally and confidant during some of her hard, lonely years. On the wedding day, the bride emerges as a queen. The bride has all the pictures taken of her. The bride wears the white dress, but her unnoticed best friend stands in the back next to the guest book as people sign their names. Obviously, wedding days are a wonderful and special time for the minister and also for many fortunate others. Doing a wedding ceremony, performing a wedding ceremony is one of my happiest assignments. I love preparing. I enjoy rehearsing, sometimes with a hanky in my hand. And I love sharing it with those that I love. All the people that I've mentioned whether you're in front or you're behind the scenes. All of this is what you call service. Most of it, if not all of it, is volunteer. 
And I would like to tell you this tonight, that on the days when it's a joy, and also on the days when it's a hard, gritty, unproductive, lonely, boring assignment, you and I were shaped for serving God. We were put here to preach and to also help feed in every others in every way that we can. And then when we do feed the hungry, we hang around to do the dishes later. I want to submit this to you, and I mean it with everything on the inside of me. Unless you are serving, you are never going to be fully satisfied. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are His workmanship, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. The message translation says, No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does. The good work He has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Rick Warren said, you were made to make a contribution. You were made to make a contribution, not just to consume. God made you to make a difference. And what matters is not how long you live, but how you live. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. We're created to serve, he said. We're saved to serve. We're gifted to serve. We're shaped to serve. We're commanded to serve. Rick Warren also has a helpful acronym that he actually calls SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. It's based on Job chapter 10, verse 8, which says, The writer speaking to God, your hands shaped me and made me. And here are the five key ingredients God uses to equip us for service in His kingdom. S stands for our spiritual gifts. H stands for our heart. A is our natural abilities. P is our personality. And E is the aggregate experiences of our lives. The Bible teaches that if we have experienced good fortune, the Bible teaches that if we have experienced good fortune, if we have lovely, comfortable homes, if we enjoy an abundant income, if we are blessed with natural gifts and abilities, then there is a service reason why God gave us those gifts. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Peter writes in his first epistle, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. Some have observed that theologically speaking, 
God could very easily take Christians to heaven the minute we join God's family. I heard a preacher say one time, this is so inappropriate. But I'm going to go ahead and say, I didn't say it, he did. And he's not even alive anymore, so there we go. But he said, sometimes after pastoring for a number of years, there'd just be some people, had you known what was ahead of you and trying to pastor these people, that the minute they repent and baptize and fill the Holy Ghost, you just take a gun and shoot them in the back of the head and just get it over with. Now, I didn't say that. I'm just repeating what somebody else said. Look at your neighbor and tell him I'm glad he's not talking about me. If that, in fact, is true. <laughs> Thank the Lord. But theologically speaking, God could very easily take Christians to heaven the minute we are converted. The instant translation, why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't heaven begin immediately upon conversion? Why are we still here? Because God put us here to serve, and he leaves us here to serve. I'm getting the impression this isn't going too well. This is a very quiet, uh, is anybody afraid to say amen tonight? Afraid you're going to lock yourself into something? The Apostle Paul once admitted, really, if we were to die right now and immediately see the face of Jesus, in terms of my conscious spirit, that would be better, better by far. Why do I choose to stay here then? For you guys, he said, to serve you people, my spiritual family, to be a blessing to others. So let's take note of this as our purpose, to serve God by serving others. We call this kind of ministry service ministry. Every single person here tonight is a minister not just me and Brother Dave and other ministers we have in the, in the congregation tonight. Do you realize tonight when you serve in a service-based ministry that you're literally copying Jesus? We copy Jesus when we live lives of service. He said explicitly in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. I think y'all could say amen to that. One translation said, your, your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. I want you to notice this tonight. It's very familiar to all of us. At the Last Supper, we always envision Jesus putting on a towel, getting down on his knees, the king of the universe down on his knees, washing the dirty feet of 12 ragtag disciples. And we tend to think, well, Jesus was just doing a bit of play acting here. He's a king, but he unselfishly showed us the model of service. He stepped out of his true self in order to give us a tutorial 
in servanthood and serving others. But I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's what happened. He washing, his washing feet is a teaching lesson for us. But when Jesus washed feet, this is when he was being his truest self. Because Jesus was a servant. He was being his truest self. He didn't pretend to be a servant. He didn't shed his executive lifestyle for 50, 15 missionary minutes to theatrically show us a new paradigm. Washing feet and hugging kids and staying up healing sinners until the wee hours of the night. That's what he came to do. And he loved doing it. So, I think we could look at the life of Jesus to learn the principles of service. So, everybody listen up tonight. Principle number one. Serving like Jesus means being available. Everybody say available. Matthew 20 has a story where two blind men were shouting from the side of the road, Jesus, help us. Have mercy. Jesus, come, please do something. And the Bible said that Jesus stopped. He allowed his schedule to be interrupted. I want to submit to Grace Church in January of 2021. Each of us needs to be willing to stop our regular schedule. We must be willing sometimes to be interrupted. Someone said one time, a lot of people like to follow the steps of Jesus. This person said, I like to study the stops of Jesus. I don't know if y'all are absorbing any of this or not. I'm not getting anything back from... Got three, two or three, that's goods, and I'll talk to those three. Most of Jesus' healings... If you study his life, those three and a half years, most of his healings, the times he blessed others, were interruptions. It wasn't planned. It wasn't on his calendar that day. Do you think, think of a time when you were healed or you were really ministered to by the Spirit of the Lord? Do you think God had that on his calendar and kind of coerced for you to be here when that happened? Do you think God might have had other plans somewhere else on this planet and just decided to stop and take care of your need before he went and did something else and then told the other people like Mary and Martha, sorry I'm late? saying Jesus please 
I know you're turning right up here, but would you please turn left instead? Come to my house. Come help me. In fact, one man, a Roman centurion, knew he was interrupting Jesus. He knew that. But he said to the ruler of the universe, you don't have to interrupt and stop what you're doing, Jesus. You don't need to come to my house. If you just speak the word, I'll still get the same miracle as though you were there. I remember one time sitting in my office in our church in Youngstown. It's on a Sunday night right before church was to begin. The music team was there rehearsing. Phone rang and I answered it. On the other end of the line was the most desperate voice I've ever heard in my life. Just screaming, come to my house, come to my house. I could hardly even recognize the person's voice, but I did. I said, what's the matter? He just kept screaming, come to my house. I hung up the phone told one of our church leaders, I've got an emergency and I have to go. This was Sunday night right before church started. I could have said, no, church is about to start. Sometimes we have to be willing to be interrupted. Would you like to hear the rest of that story? When I got to his house, I got there right before the ambulance and walked in and his wife was dead on the kitchen floor. Sometimes we have to be willing to be interrupted. I have spent more than one Christmas Eve at someone's house consoling them over the death of a loved one. I've spent more than one Christmas Eve at the Baton Rouge Parish Jail visiting an inmate who formerly attended the church or was a family member that related to someone who attended the church. Sometimes we have to be willing to be interrupted. On more than one occasion our phone has rang in the wee hours of the morning, you have to be willing. It's about service. So let's remember, every time we're tempted to hoard our time, every time we're tempted to cocoon ourselves, every time we're tempted to hit the garage door remote twice in eight seconds, open it, drive in, close it, and be in the house and in our fortress before needy, hurting people, can interrupt us. I'd like for us to remember these four things that I want to leave you with tonight. First of all, the example of Jesus. This really didn't occur to me in this fashion until I was preparing for this study, and this has been an ongoing preparation for several weeks now. But do you understand... We all understand the church is worldwide and it's been documented by many powerful governments of countries that it's the most powerful entity in their country and they don't know what to do with it. China has said it, Russia has said it, and other governments have said it. There's a group of people here that has a power about them and if they ever rose up against us, we'd never be able to stop them. That's how powerful the church is. We take it for granted sometimes, and I get it, I do, because we live in such a great country. But the church is powerful. But do you understand tonight and think of it from this perspective, that Jesus, when he came and began his ministry, he only had three 
and a half years to do his entire ministry and in addition to that, establish the church. So he had to be willing to put himself out there. And it's interesting to me that choosing 12 disciples, knowing that transfiguration was ahead of him, Gethsemane was ahead of him, Calvary was ahead of him, resurrection was ahead of him, and establishing his kingdom and these 12 men who would be given the privilege of spreading the gospel around the world from then until rapture, he still was always stopping to go to weddings. He would slam on the brakes for parties. He would pause for funerals. And of course, all the funerals he attended turned into a party because he was willing to be interrupted. He had to be the most unselfish, unself-centered person that's ever been on this planet. I don't know how he found the time and maintained the energy and kept the focus and did all of those things when he was continually interrupted by people. But he came here to serve. What an example. Secondly, let's remember that we, we are among the world's most fortunate people. We must remember that. We cannot forget that. I think sometimes the longer we're tenured in Pentecost, the longer we have gone past our moment of conversion, the more we should be willing to serve. Not do less, but do more. We have an obligation to help. We have an obligation to serve. Thirdly, if we say, I don't have time, I'm busy, I've got a lot going on, let's be thankful that being apostolic people takes away that excuse for at least several hours each week if we're willing to make it priority. Now, some of those hours will include church attendance. Some of that time will include Bible reading. Some of that time will include prayer. But some of that time must, it must include serving, helping, ministering to someone else. I'm not here to imply that we do not do that. I'm here to remind us of the importance to continue doing it. We can't do less. We can't be less. We can't perform less. We have to do a little bit more. Thirdly, if we say, pardon me, fourth, if we, if we remember these things, we'll remember these things that we've talked about. <laughs> what is ahead of us? As an eternity, it's going to be absolutely magnificent. It's going to be truly worth it. It's going to be truly amazing. <laughs> I found a cassette tape the other day. 
that I listened to when I was a teenager. Uh, I was probably 16, 17, 18 years old, that bracket. The Conqueror's Quartet came to sing at the first church, first Pentecostal church here in Baton Rouge. And I must have been 15, 16 years old, and I was mesmerized by that. That was the coolest thing. They were all dressed alike. And uh, it's Brother Marvin Treese, of course, Charlie Carruth, um, Brother Brady. Um, there was one more. It was not Brother Ewing. It was someone else. And I sat on the front row just as proud as a proverbial peacock. And I brought my portable cassette recorder. About that wide and about that long, about that tall. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And uh, made sure it had brand new batteries in it. And I put my cassette tape in there and I sat there that entire service. And I recorded, hand recorded, the Conqueror's Quartet. I found that tape the other day. Now when you talk about our current church recordings and live stream and all of that, and we complain a little bit here and there that it skipped and it jumped and it this and it that. Sit down and listen to that tape and see how quality that is. And I used to listen to it every night. There was banging and coughing and wheezing and laughing and carrying on and chatting. I don't know who was sitting around me. I don't even remember. I didn't even look. I didn't care at that time. I was just fixed on the Conqueror's Quartet. I played that tape the other day and tears streamed down my face. Just brought back so many great memories. But they sang a song. I can hear Brother Teresa's voice sing, saying that song. And when my eyes behold that city. When I heard them sing that is when my emotion completely broke. And there was just something yearning on the inside of me. And I'm convinced and I'm persuaded beyond measure that of all the interruptions, of all the heartbreak, of all the trial and tribulation, when my eyes behold that city, it's going to be worth every bit of it. It's going to be worth every bit of it. I heard somebody say years ago, heaven's going to be cheap at any price. So there's nothing here you can do that would be too much. I don't think anybody's going to ever leave here going to heaven and arriving there overqualified to be in heaven. As though you should be in some place better. I believe tonight with all of my heart there's going to be some amazing moments in heaven. I hope so. I hope so. And I'm convinced there will be. There's a lot of people over there I would like to see. I listened to, uh, can't think of his name, Michael English, is that right? He used to sing with the Gaither Vocal Band. He's the one that sang, thank you for giving to the Lord and all that. But he also talked about that. He wrote a, Somebody wrote a song, maybe he did, I don't know who wrote it, but talks about when he gets to heaven and I'm going to fall on my face and just cry holy. You're not going to go from here to there overqualified. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry that your reward on the other side is going to be cheap compared to what you did for Jesus here. 
If anything, I think if we could look back, we would say, God, I should have done more because I'm so unworthy of this. I don't want to be morbid here tonight, but I've looked into the casket of more than one child of God. Most of them elderly. And wonder what they're doing right now. Where their soul is and what's going on right now with them. I think if we could open the door to heaven, I don't think we'd hear any of them complaining. Hey, God, this sure is cheap, man. This sure is junky compared to what I did for you down there. I'm really disappointed. I don't think any of that's going to happen. So I would like for all of us to consider tonight as we begin this new year, as we all know and recognize that time is, I believe, coming to a conclusion. I don't believe we have much longer on this planet. I believe rapture is imminent. I believe that for even more than ever for about the past year or so. I still feel that heartbeat, that pound in my chest that said at any moment, any day, we could hear the sound of a trumpet. So I don't know if we'll go to heaven with regrets. I don't know, I don't know, understand how all of it's going to work. I sometimes wish the Bible said more. But it'd be a sad thing to arrive in heaven and say, God, I can't believe you did this for me because I did so little for you. I know we're not saved by works, and I'm not, I'm not hinting at that in any way, shape, or form. We're saved by grace, and I understand that. But it sure would be nice to arrive in heaven and feel some little degree of, well, God, I gave you everything I had. I sold out to you. I surrendered everything, and I gave it all I had. It sure would be nice to have that feeling. Rather than arriving on those golden shores and say, God, I can't believe I'm here because I sure didn't give you your just due when I was on the earth. I believe it's imperative, folks. God wants us to serve others. And not just those that we like. And this is going to be the hard part, and I'm concluding. I don't believe Jesus healed everybody because he thought they were wonderful people. What do you think Jesus thought about the thief on the cross when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise? What do you think he thought about that guy? It appears from Scripture that that man probably, Jesus never crossed his mind until he was on that cross. And he was about to die. And he looked over there at Jesus and that was his last hope. And he gave it all he had, and it paid off for him. What do you think Jesus thought about that? Now, what would you think about that? man, Dude, I don't owe you nothing. You've hurt more people. You've wrecked more people. You've destroyed more people. You've been a menace to society. You're not worth your salt. You're not worth the last meal you ate wherever it was at. If you ask for a stake before your execution, shame on you because you're not worth it. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the people that Jesus could have not done anything for because he really didn't like them because they just weren't really good people? What if they were people outside of his circle? What about that Gentile woman 
that came to him about her daughter being grievously vexed with the devil. And Jesus taught a lesson here. What his heart beat, but he was teaching a lesson. But he said, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. Do we do that? Do we withhold what God has done for us from people that we don't like because they're just not really good folks? I did not intend to end this this way tonight, but it's pounding in my spirit. We love our friends. We love our family most of the time. What about those people that just aren't, you know, they're weird, don't feel comfortable, don't have anything in common with them. We have different personalities. What about them? When Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost, who all did that include? I believe that was perhaps meant for the Jewish people. I'm not going to debate that with anybody. That's just my personal feeling. And he wasn't talking about people, but the experience and relationship with him. Came to seek and to save that which was lost. But do you think even at that, that there were people that might have heard of Jesus somewhere along the line and said, I'd like to have a relationship with Jesus. And he says, I don't really like you that much. I'm trying to appeal tonight to our heart, to our mind, to our logic. Are we entitled to pick and choose who we serve? Well, it's really quiet now. Maybe that's why y'all were got quiet. Y'all knew this was coming. I've seen people at Grace Church. Oh my, I've seen folks that's tried to befriend people, that's tried to love people and were shunned. The people didn't want it, they didn't want to accept it, and they went on their way. I know I've experienced that, reach out to people, and they bottom line, throw their hand up and say, not today, preacher. A preacher's reputation is not a whole lot different than a used car salesman sometimes. If you're not trusted, what you say is not, don't carry a lot of weight. Somebody asked me one time, said, how do you do it? people come to the church and you love them and you pour your heart out to them you preach to them, you pray for them, you work with them, you go out to eat with them and then two or three years later they leave for whatever reason and another family comes and you start all over again the only answer to that question is a call to God gives you a heart to want to serve people and that's just what you do and it doesn't matter how they treat you back so what do you think tonight about following in the footsteps of Jesus and loving somebody that's not that easy to love and serving somebody that's not that easy to serve? Maybe if it is your old cranky spouse, might be a good place to start. Maybe some of your kids who are wayward, just to show them that you still love them and you're doing everything you can to help. What if it's that friend from a long time ago? What if it's this person across the street? I want to ask you to stand with me tonight and I pray that 
there's a spirit of not condemnation here tonight. It's not a spirit of condemnation. It's a spirit of conviction. Condemnation pushes you away from God. Conviction draws you to God. But I'd like for us to do a little bit of soul searching here tonight before we dismiss just right where you stand. Just bow your head for a moment and just talk to the Lord and say, what is that old song we used to sing? Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. That may I do my part to win that soul to thee. God, love that person through me. Let me be a conduit through which the love of God flows. Would you just talk to the Lord for a few minutes? Just right where you stand tonight, would you talk to the Lord for a few minutes, everybody? Father, in the name of Jesus. You've called us here. You've shaped us with this. This is why we didn't die the moment we were converted. Because you wanted us to be willing servants in your kingdom. To be willing to be interrupted. To be willing to copy your example. To look forward to that glorious city that you've built for us. That's going to make it all worth it. I pray God tonight that you would speak to this church to every person's heart. Maybe we could set ourselves aside just for a little while each week. That we could set our agenda aside just for a little while each week and say, God, lay some soul on my heart and help me love that person. Help me reach out to that person. Help me to take them by the hand and encourage them to step out of my world for just a little while. To step out of my, my activities and things I want to get done just for a little while and love on somebody for the kingdom's sake, to encourage somebody for the kingdom's sake, to inspire somebody for the kingdom's sake. I pray, God, tonight that you would motivate us, that you would inspire us, that you would wrap your arms around this amazing, wonderful church and help us always to be willing to serve because we were shaped for this. We were made to be put here for this. I pray God that you would be with us. Please guide our steps. Please help us God to remain in the palm of your hand, to love one another, to stay unified, to fellowship, but to reach beyond ourselves to that person that needs you so desperately. We ask it in Jesus name. We ask it in Jesus name. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Such a great group here tonight. Thank you for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed. In Jesus' name, fellowship with somebody before you leave.